You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are back with episode 11. Episode 11. Oh, here, here we go. So, how would you, how'd you run this week, Tyler? Man, I have one of the, probably the most interesting losing session you can have. Oh, I know this session. Oh, yeah. It, I, this was a session that fucking gave me anxiety. <laughs> so, yeah. So, go ahead and tell us about this session. So, I sat down. So, I guess we'll talk about um, each buy-in, how much um, the buy-ins were. So, the first buy-in, I sat down, I bought in for 500 Which is your normal buy-in, for the most part, right? Correct, at the 1-3, yeah. Okay. So, the first hand, I end up with, like, a suited connector, like, 7-8 suited. And I I flopped. I, uh, someone raised pre-flop. It was three ways. I called. Um, flopped one club. I had 7-8 clubs. It checked through. The turn brought another club. It checks to me. I bet uh, one. No, both people called. I bet small. I end up hitting running clubs, but it also brings in very obvious straight draws. I think the board was like nine. Uh, uh, it brought in a, a very obvious straight. I don't remember the exact straight because I was thinking of my flush. And I was thinking I could get value from a lot of straights. Okay. So I ended up betting pretty big on the river and getting called by, I think he ended up min-raising me back, and I just called um, to the nut flush. Oh, God. Yeah, so, and I mean, I was low enough after that to where I just reloaded. And I was like, well, flush over flush. Especially runner, runner, back door. That was that's, my thing. That's dirty, man. Right, so I was like, well... Okay, well, you know, if you're going to play the suit of connectors, that's just the price you pay whenever. I mean, you're going to lose to the nut flush sometimes whenever you play the 9 8 suited, 4 5 suited. I mean, once you get min raised on the river, I mean, I don't think you ever love seeing the min raise there, but I mean, with the flush draw, you're just not folding there. I mean, you, I mean, you want to talk about exploitable. If you're folding flushes for a min raise on the river, I mean. That's, yeah, I mean, it's an easy call, so, God almighty, that's a, ugh, God, dirty, dirty hand. Right, and that was the first orbit. So, I ended up adding on, but I didn't add on, the game was very deep stacked, so I didn't add on for 500, I added on for 1,000, right? Oh, God, okay, so, so your normal buy-in's 500, and the first orbit, you are now on a second buy-in of double the amount that you did. It, did you do this just because you were deep stacked? Because everybody was deep stacked? Is that the reason? Um, I did it because everyone was deep stacked. And, well, I did it one other time and it worked out pretty good. So, that was kind of my reasoning. <laughs> well, if it worked out one time, it's got to work out again. I mean, nothing's ever not worked out one time and then gone, you know, haywire another time. Right, so that was my reasoning, and 
Okay. Well, as long as you got good reasoning. <laughs> um. So the game was playing very big, a lot of straddles, and um, I ended up in a heads-up pot with. Gosh, I really should not be playing these suited connectors. I had another. It was either seven eight or um, eight nine suited. Mm-hmm. And somebody raised pretty big, which was, I mean, it's still the standard raise size. And I'm, uh, I was the button straddle. And so by big, you mean they? It was not well, not three bet, but raised like maybe thirty. It was one, 30, three, right? Okay, I gotcha. But there was the button straddle, so someone made it thirty, um, from about late position. Okay. And I called, and then it was heads up. Y'all are so deep stacked. I like this call here. So, okay. So the flop came. Um, so I had um, an eight of uh, suited connector hearts. The flop was queen high with one heart and an eight. Okay. He then bets very small on the flop. So I was like, well, I could turn equity. Um, he might check through on the turn. It's a pretty weak C-bet is what I was thinking. I mean, you said it's queen high? Yes. So, I mean, you're you're ahead of, like, king jack, ace jack, a lot of broadways. Uh, I mean, even, like, maybe pockets. Uh, I mean, uh, pocket sevens might be a kind of a weird bet here. But there's definitely things you're ahead of on this, on this. And, like you said, there's a lot of backdoor equity, it sounds like. I'm ahead of ace king, which is kind of what I kind of put them on. Right. And it was one of the players where um, I kind of put him on like an ace-king, ace-queen, aces-kings, because he's kind of a tight player, and raising to that size is pretty big for that player. Okay. And um, I turn an eight. So now I have trips. Definitely spiked the turn. And he just, he bets into me again. Uh, But this time he kind of sizes up. Okay. And the board... Had a fl- he obviously um, turned possible flush draws right because it was rainbow on the flop and and it wasn't my heart obviously because it's the eight. Okay. Um, so he bets pretty big, and I was grabbing chips and I was debating raising, and then how much should I raise? And then I thought, I'm really not scared of that much here. I don't think in this pot, giving the hands I think he has, the type of hands he has. Right. So I end up just calling. And the river brings an ace. Okay. So I was kind of like, well, is it, I I was thinking it would it could possibly be a bad card, but then I was also thinking, well, what are the chances of him just boating on the river on me? I was, it seems pretty low to me. And I would think aces might bet a little bit bigger on the flop and on the turn. And he right. did size up on the turn, but I was still kind of hesitant. And then he sizes very small on the river. And you and I talked about this. I ended up raising him. Well, what ended up being, um, this is my mistake. I made an error here. And I raised too big. And then he called, he snap called. He had pocket aces and then boated on the river. Man, that is pretty dirty. Uh, I'm trying to think of where you, like, if I would have played this any different. Like, okay, like, going from the pre-flop, definitely calling with a suited connector. Right. With deep stacked. Uh, the eight, definitely a call on the flop. Uh, I think some people could argue to turn, raise the turn, but I think that's re- being super results-oriented. 
I, you're like you say, you're not scared of that much. Uh, and you could, I just don't see a ton of reason to blow somebody off of the, uh, when they've kind of shown a little bit, enough strength to bet the river. And it, if they check the river, it looks like you're, you're in position, right? Correct. I was a button straddle. So you, so I mean, uh, then it looks like you could almost be trying to steal the river and get a light call. So I actually like your check, uh, your uh, call on the turn and no re-raise. Uh, I remember when we were going over this hand earlier, I thought the raise on the river was probably not the best move. Once I didn't realize how bet how small the bet was on the river, and I don't know that, that, he his small bet on the river really makes this a complicated hand. It's actually well played by this guy. Right, that's what we were saying. I mean, he just played it very well. He induced the the raise, and that's just what I did. And the real error was I ended up jamming on him, thinking it. I was thinking he could have had ace queen, ace king. But like we said, you know, obviously now you lose to aces. You're not getting value from kings. But in the moment, I had put him on like an ace king who was trying to do like a weak C bet into a, a size up turn bet, but didn't want to check down ace high. And then, well, sorry, didn't want to, uh, sorry, and then had spiked his ace and was going to call off on the river. Yeah, that's a, well, okay, do we think he played this very well, or he just got lucky with how he played it? Because, okay, he bets very small on the river, which shows a lot of weakness, which makes you think that you need to go after and get value from trips. But in all likelihood, he bets small because he's hoping that you have like a queen, queen 10. He's just bet three streets and ace came on the river and it's kind of crappy for him, for him. So he's probably actually just trying to bet small to get very to get squeeze out any type of value i mean right definitely and i i mean i don't think it's as much as him getting lucky as me misplaying the hand uh me you know taking the bait as you know reading it as weakness and raising that's what i think i mean i think it was kind of a luck how he played but then it, the his luck was amplified greatly whenever i uh you know ended up raising him on the river yeah it's I don't know. I think it's really difficult. I'm, I'm trying not to be results oriented when we're going through this. Uh, this is was the reason I thought maybe the raise was bad is when he raises big pre flop and it's a tight player, then he then has queens in his range, which would be a boat. He would have aces in his range, which would be a boat. Uh, he would have kings, but when you raise that big. You're not you're not getting any value from kings. They're just folding. Uh, Jacks the same way. So really, when we were going over this, the only hand I could see when you raise big, maybe getting a call from, is like ace queen. Right, so. and when you're trying to put them on one very specific hand, it doesn't normally work out. Kind of yeah, kind of difficult because a lot of everything else is basically because we would said like ace king, but. I don't think a player, most players are going to barrel, you know, this, the eight wasn't a good card to barrel on for ace-king. So I'm not sure a lot of players would have done that. I mean, people do crap all the time they shouldn't do, so he could very well have ace-king here. 
Uh, but one is I'm not sure how much value, if you're getting that much value out of it, and I just don't think it's likely that he has it. Like I say, ace-queen would have been, you look like a genius here, but with queens and aces being in his range, and kings, and uh, there's a lot of hands he has here that you beat that just I don't think you're getting a lot of value from when you raise. Oh, absolutely. In hindsight, everything is so clear. But oh yeah, I mean it, this is a lot of it come coming from hindsight too. So it's a, I mean, at the end of the day, if someone hits a two outer on you, they're gonna get money. It's just a matter of how much. Yeah, and I make sure it's all of it, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to go home. You know, you don't want to have this man thinking he left something on the table. <laughs> exactly. So um, so that wasn't great, and that was. Those two hands were very close to each other, probably within the hour. <sighs> that's a rough. That's a rough hour to start. So I decided I should reload for um, fifteen hundred this time. And your normal buy-in is five hundred. You keep bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it was went through my head. Because uh, when you texted like you're in the game for like three thousand. I'm like, what in God's... I mean, all I know is your normal buy-in is 500 So I'm like, what the fuck happened? He's busted out five goddamn times and he's buying in again? I was like, what in the hell is going on? And I was like... And I mean, that's not... Ex and that's not even the end of what you said. And I'm like, oh God, this is a fucking... This is a disaster. <laughs> right. So now I have 1500 in front of me. And I get dealt pocket queens. I do the standard. I, you know, I put in the three bet and get it heads up. Right. Um, flop comes jack, jack, three. Feeling great. How, uh, like, I'm feeling great if this is not usually multi-way. How many players are there? Heads up. Oh, heads up. Okay, thanks. So I, you know, I put the three bet in. I get it heads up. I make it 75 pre-flop. Um, the flop comes jack, jack, three, I believe. And... I you know I put in my bet my C bet he only calls, and then um, the turn is another low probably I think it was like a six or something. I'm feeling really good here with queens. You did, know, did you bet this turn? Um, I believe he sized up. Okay, so you bet on the flop. He calls. Sorry, sorry, I messed up. He check raised me the turn. Ooh, this gets dicey. Super dicey. Okay, so. Mm. This is either a jack or a bluff. But it was a very small um, check raise. I was like, oh, I might still be ahead. He might be trying to rep the jack. Almost wish this was a bigger check raise. Because, I mean, then I, then it's more likely to be a bluff. A small check raise makes me think that this is just a jack so often. Yep. And then um, on the river, he actually did not bet that big. Um, it was another low card. So I was like, well, we saw my overpair. I'm losing to any random jack that he calls a three bet with. So I'm thinking maybe ace jack. Because I size up pretty big. Um, because he made it 15. And there was like call call. So I made it 75. And got it heads up. So what's he calling $75 with that has a jack in it? Jack 10 suited's pretty loose to be calling out of position. 
Mm, you're playing at 52. I think Jack done suited in with well within a lot of people's ranges there. Oh, Jack three suit is possible, but yeah. <laughs> um. So, so okay. So on the river, um, there's no flush draws or no flushes complete, and it's Jack Jack. I believe it was like three six, and seven, right? Okay. And he bets probably like I think it was like two or three hundred, probably like maybe two fifty. This is looking worse and worse for Queens. Uh, so I'm guessing you call here. Yep, I call, and he has quads. He flopped quads. Which, oh, God. he had So he had jack-jack and flopped quads against your Queens? Makes sense for how he played it, though, because it's very hard to get value from anything when you have all the jacks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's a question. Did you ever think? Did you think about folding the turn at all? I thought about folding the turn, but then I was also the player seemed very capable. Making a bluff. Yes, he seemed like a very solid player. So yeah, I definitely had him trying to rep that in his range. Well, because once he check raises the turn, I mean, I don't think you're beating any value hands. We always talk about those min check raises always being just so nutted. Yeah, but it's, it's just it's it's always so hard to fold. To such a small check raise. Well, and it can be super exploitable. I mean, if if you're folding to, I mean, when it's a min check raise, I mean, you only have to be right one out of like five or six times probably to make this a good call. So it's a, but I mean, once he does that check raise, God Almighty, it just, well, did you think about folding the river at all? Um, so, I did, oh, I definitely thought about it. I mean, I'm not saying, they're definitely not easy folds. I just, I mean, on this dry-ass board, this is just, I mean, this is either, a, this is either, to me, just complete air in which he's just trying to bluff you off, or it's jack every time. Right, and I love those hands. So fun to play that way. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love those hands. Um... So, yeah, so he had the the quads, so didn't see that coming. Yeah, I mean, quads are hard to beat. <sighs> quads are hard to beat, which was kind of the moral of that session, or the story of that session. Yeah. I saw quads more times that night than I had my entire life. I, saw, I lost to flop quads. Somebody else had, I think it was like, um, he had pocket fours. And I ended up hitting top pair and rivering two pair with the ace kicker. And he had pocket uh, fours for rivered quads. God almighty. I was getting murdered by quads. <laughs> and then... Explains how you're in the game for this much. <laughs> yeah. I, it didn't even seem real to see quads so many times. And then I get this hand where this player gets felted and... I end up getting quads. I get pocket kings all in versus pocket jacks pre-flop and end up turning and rivering kings. Oh, God. Well, at least you got something in your favor. Right, but I guess I kind of jumped ahead a second. So I'm in the game for 3000 I had to buy $100 a time. So I'm in the game for 3100 And I've been just getting murdered hand after hand after hand. I ended up being down to $150 exactly. Once you said this, I was like, oh, God, this has got to be 
the worst goddamn day you've ever had in playing poker. Because once you said that, I was... I mean, for one, I was super confused on how you were in there for 3000 And then, I mean, number two, if, you, if you're going to be in for three, I'm expecting you to be like, yeah, I only got... I mean, if it... If it's bad, like I got six hundred or seven hundred in front of me, I mean one fifty. Oh God. Yeah, I mean I, you know, I'd rivered straights to people's runner runner flush. I mean it was it was awful, awful, awful. And I mean for sure I was not playing my best poker. I mean anytime you can take three thousand dollars turn it into one fifty, you're not playing solid poker. Yeah, I mean. We nobody's ever playing solid poker all the time. I mean, we all have our we all have our days where we feel like, you know, we're just playing way better than others, and days where we're not on our A game. And I mean, hopefully, we're not in for that. But I mean, this seems like a day where you were just getting slaughtered. It was. It seemed like you probably were actually playing pretty good, but I mean, if you're just getting murdered over and over and over again. Everybody's gonna crack and not be playing their best game after that. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm sitting there looking at $150 in front of me. I'm debating what I should even do. I'm apparently giving it away today. Apparently, I don't care about chips, money, or anything. News to me, but that must have been what's going on. <laughs> must be. I thought I should just give it to the dealer. Just there you go, because <laughs> clearly, I'm just giving it away. You might as well get some too. Not, there you go. I mean. <laughs> Make that dealer's day, I guess. <laughs> I guess. So, this dealer comes and sits down at 52. His name is Max, right? Okay. Deals a bomb pot. I win the bomb pot. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Especially for you, who hates bomb pots. Oh, I figured, I might as well just play them. What's it matter? We're just trying to play good, losing anyway. Might as well jump in the bomb pot and just roll the dice here, too. <laughs> because who knows we might stumble into a win yeah this and we is, did this is definitely you not playing your best right now and whenever uh, Tyler's like oh I won in that bomb pot I love bomb pots I never see you play a damn bomb pot ever so if you want in I definitely know you are you are tilted out of your mind so I get tilted you know I ended up winning the hand I don't remember how I mean I'm sure I shoved people folded and um so then, another hand he deals. I win. I was like, hmm, okay. And then I'm starting to kind of look, and I'm kind of accumulating quite a bit of chips. I'm like, well, now I have $300, and, you know, I doubled up my 150 I used to buy in for 300 every time. Right. Definitely have run up 300 He deals me, you know, I end up winning every hand he deals to me. Everything was like eight in a row. Oh, Eight hands back to back in a row. Now I have about six to seven hundred in front of me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was texting. I was like, I think we're making a comeback, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely on the, uh, you're definitely looking to see anything positive, but I mean, you don't want to speak too soon after getting hammered for that much money at this point. I mean, you're not high fiving anybody when you're in the game for three thousand one hundred dollars, and you have, and you're like, I've turned one fifty into four hundred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, people aren't coming to get your autograph to uh to sign for your professional poker playing <laughs> right. skills. So, 
so then I ended up, I just kept went, I just back to back hands, back to back hands. And this is one you'd find pretty interesting. So I normally only tip like a dollar or two per hand because I noticed a lot of people will tip very heavily in that kind of, if you're playing and you're uh, playing for profit and you're calculating your hourly and everything, you really can't be giving away, you know, $10 a hand, stuff like that, right? Right. I mean, recreational players who play big are much better tippers than, right? Well, they're either, they're more likely to be the best tippers. I'll, I'll say that. I think pros respect the game enough to actually tip, but they're always going to, it's always mindful of that it's added right coming out of your stack, too. Right. So you're like this. So I told him, I said, well, you've dealt me all winning hands. Okay, sorry. So he, he deals. I'm, I'm straddling, obviously, because why not? And I get dealt pocket fives. And now I'm kind of, I'm floating around seven to $800. And um, someone makes it 30 and another deep stack calls. <laughs> so I tell him, I said, all right, man, I'll make you a deal. If I win this hand, when I put up the green chip, I told him, I'll give you this green chip if I win this hand. <laughs> so, okay. So you are, you are never doing stuff like this ever. So this is just, you, you have been, you have been beat senseless <laughs> at this point. So, okay. So you have agreed to give the dealer 25 bucks if you win this hand. Correct. Okay. I got you. Flop comes. I completely whip. I was saying this is going to be a tough 25 bucks for him. <laughs> Tyler's like this 25 bucks is safe the the, the money in the middle that's gone probably <laughs> yeah no 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 no. it was the 25 dollars that I put in there oh uh, okay I got you yeah I got you yeah. so I was like well he can kiss that goodbye <laughs> so one of the players I've been battling back and forth with who's sitting on my left um so the flop checks around because it checks checked me and then it checks through again to me on the turn. Okay. And I was like, well, I guess we're just going to go for it. So I ended up betting 50 with just a pair. And the guy to my left, I'm pretty sure, was is friends with the dealer and just folded to have him a shot at winning $25. Mm-hmm. And then the other player just, he was like, meh, and just folded too. So I gave him the $25 uncontested. Oh, very nice. Happy Tyler, happy dealer. I mean, this this hand just had a very happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy to my left said, because uh, the dealer was like, I think he folded just so I could win the $25. You should have seen the dealer's face when his friend folded and the other player was sitting there thinking if he wanted to call the 50. Oh, yeah. You want to find, yeah, no kidding. That dealer's definitely on edge. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to tell him, don't worry. I was putting in the triple barrel for sure. But. <laughs> <laughs> Say <laughs> if he didn't fold at the tournament, we weren't giving up. But so yeah, he was super happy, and then we just so I ended up running that back. So then I ended up playing. Some other people came and sat down, and we ended up running that hundred and fifty dollars back up to about maybe two thousand six hundred. That's insane. That is just ridiculously insane. When I heard this, I was just so blown away. <laughs> I mean, I was going from debating. Just making a splash pot with my hundred and fifty dollars, because apparently I'm giving it away, so I should just make a massive pot and leave. <laughs> I was thinking I should throw it on a different table and leave. I should give it to a dealer. 
He just you you Clearly, yeah, you were just, just done. You were ba- you were basically done with the session in every way, form or fashion. Right. I was like, well, I mean, it's definitely gonna. I don't know. I was like. I mean, clearly it's time to go home. I mean, you just turned three thousand dollars into a one fifty, so it's probably a good time for you to leave. I mean, the chances of this happening are so, so low. <laughs> it is that is it is just ridiculous, man. <laughs> and then I ended up, you know, I was playing with a bunch of people who had just sat down. I put in the triple barrel with the seven deuce offshoot and showed that that you know definitely caught some people's attention. And then. <laughs> <laughs> and then um i use that to get value later on on different rivers um but yeah ran it all the way back up so it was probably the best feeling the best feeling losing session you can have oh yeah it's amazing how like we're just so biased like the recency bias for poker players is amazing because that had to feel amazing yet if you were to just go nuts and win like in take make your 500 into like 1500 and then come back down and win to where you were winning like 800 i mean you'd feel like oh what did i do i'm an idiot and all this so i mean you probably i mean you would feel bad probably lo- you know winning 300 but you know feel great that you only lost this amount of money. Oh, well, think, I mean, how often would I tell you that, all right, Clint, you're going to show up, you're going to play poker for 12 hours, 12 and a half hours. You're going to lose $600, and you're going to be pumped to leave. You're going to be so happy when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's a that's that's a hell of a story there. Right. I mean, I, which I was so happy because when you when I, I realized how much you were in for and you were in for one you had like one fifty in front of you, I was like, oh shit. Oh, that's what I was thinking the whole time when I was looking at that one fifty. <laughs> I mean, it's not my money. I was getting anxiety reading the text <laughs> messages. I was like, oh god, this is horrible for this dude. It was. It was horrible. <laughs> wow that's uh that's i, I will say made for good content because that's i have some hell of a stories right there <sighs> so i mean that's kind of a that's quite a session to follow up how was your session this because we both only got to play one session in between podcasts because we played the one session that we talked about on the podcast and then we had such a short week until we had to work that that was my only session so far this week i'm definitely playing today and tomorrow but since the recording, that was my last one. So I believe you only got to play one as well, right? Yeah, I played one on Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I go there and buy in, and it's only one table going at this room in College Station. And I tell you what, it was a really interesting start to the session. Before you start, is that the one before you start with their story? Is that the room where you have to? Where it's like the set time to where if you don't get on the table, it's very hard to get on the, in the game? Or is it not that place? Uh, or is that kind of how all they are? Is that how all the games are on College Station once the so game So this game, you like when it was under the first ownership, it was like at 7.30. And since it was only one table, it was it, you didn't get there directly at 7.30. It was kind of difficult. Uh, now... It seems to be more random. Now that there's two rooms, it's under new management, 
And you, they usually, or they've been trying to do a five and a seven o'clock table, but I think the new management's just kind of trying to figure out what works. Uh, so now it's a little bit more random than it was. I have a question for you before you get into your story, though. Okay. So what I've noticed, because I play 52 a ton of the time, right? And people, you know, there's tons and tons of tables. There's always an open seat eventually. You never have to wait that long, right? Right. But what I've noticed whenever I play at places where they only have one table running, and you, and if you show up at like midnight, 1130, and if you're first on the list, do you notice that when people bust out, they almost feel like they're obligated to play like they, they they don't leave because they know when they leave they they cannot come back because the list is waiting so that you seem like you have people who will just rebuy because they don't want to leave the game that other people are trying to get into is almost what it feels like to me i think that doesn't happen at the games i play at i think it's actually another factor uh a lot of people, like when it's nine or ten people, like on the table, people will leave. But once it gets to like seven, six, or like five, nobody wants to leave because they don't want to be the one that breaks the game. No, but I've noticed this when people are waiting to get on the game. Yeah, nobody, like, nobody, like. Mm, yeah, I guess I do. Like, okay, I don't, rem- I don't recognize that at late at night, but I do recognize it during the day if there's only one table. Yeah, they're more likely to buy in again because, you know, if they decide not, if they're, well, here's the thing. If they're on the fence, yep. then, you know, they know they can't go back the other way. I mean, if they buy in again and then eventually cash out in 30 minutes, it's fine. But if once they leave that table, they can't change their mind then. Exactly. I've just, I've noticed that, like, because I used to go to Texas Card House but I'd play late night sessions sometimes or Paramount where I've come in and they have a bun, they have a full table or two tables and I've sat there for two hours waiting to get on the table. And I've seen people bust out and kind of, you know, look to see and see what's going on and just rebuy. Oh yeah. It's a, I, that is a horrid feeling when, when you're just doing that. I like to say that happened to me like about three weeks ago and I love the call-in aspect, so at least you're first on the list on stuff like that. But it's you don't have to deal with it over at 52 Social, it seems like, now. But if you're at a place where there's only one card room, and that card room's kind of hit and miss, it's uh, you can spend the entire night just waiting and never get in the game. It's happened to me. Like, I know it happened to me at Grinders one time, and I was so pissed because I was in Cyprus. <laughs> And I never, you know, I was, in, this is before we really had a lot of options in College Station. Uh, and I was about to go, it was before 52 Social became big, and it was still prime, was like the main game in town. And I was like, oh, I was so pissed that I just didn't go to prime. I was like, oh, God, this is this is horrible. I remember you were so mad for I, like a week and a half or two weeks. I, was, I mean, you wouldn't play. I'm mad. It's been a it's been like th- two years. I'm still mad. <laughs> I remember you went and played poker and came back and you're like, I'm still pissed. I mean, these <laughs> nights where it's just me and I have the night to myself, which I have to work for. Not like though, like when you know. You know, it used to be when you're single and every day is just whatever the hell you want to do. Uh, 
I mean, you know, when you're when you got obligations and you got responsibilities, those nights to yourself, and then I wait the entire night and don't play one goddamn hand. Oh man, that was <laughs> that was horrible. I don't. It was probably worse than losing. I have. I don't know, but I was so pissed off. Oh, it's definitely worse than losing. Oh, yeah. I've had times where I went and sat there, and I was like, "There has to be better uses of my time than sitting in this chair doing nothing." And I'm pretty patient. If you have Wi-Fi, I mean, I'll play on my phone or whatever there. But I mean, you just kind of like the, the thirty minutes goes by, and then you're like, "Okay, come on," and then like an hour, then it goes to an hour. And then you're like, ugh. And then it, and then it really sucks because then you get to the point where you know, like, you know, I'm probably actually not gonna be. I've already wasted two hours just sitting the watching this goddamn game, and now I'm probably not gonna actually get to play. Or, yeah, no, that's that's the has to be one of the worst feelings. Actually, no, this is the worst feeling when you're two hours into it and you're sitting there. You know, peeking around, looking around, seeing what's going on. You hear, all in, call. You're like, thank God, I hope the short stack loses. Mm-hmm. Please lose. And they want to run it twice, and they chop. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, that's probably about the worst feeling right there. Is like, yeah, then everybody's just running it two and three times, and the, you know... There, and granted, there's no rake in Texas, so not even any money's coming off the table to make the stacks shorter. So, yeah, it's I can see where that'd be. I mean, it's just so frustrating. And what happened to me one time is I'm waiting two hours, right? Bored out of my mind. And they, so, what do you think about this? They had a Hold'em game going and a PLO game going. They let the PLO players get on the Hold'em waiting list. So, okay, I don't think that's a problem, right? No, you don't. Okay, so then, then here is my problem that I, that really. So I'm sitting there waiting two hours. Now, did they put them in front of you on the waiting list before, when you were already on the waiting list? That's a different story. I'd have a huge problem with that. It was so long. I don't remember. I they I could have sworn I was first. I called in ahead of time, mm-hmm. but then somehow I wasn't first. I've had that happen a few times. Okay. And I'm like, what's the point of even calling in if you're not if you just get bumped down? I've had that happen to me. And um they were like, "Well, no, technically they're here first cause, but then they were on the PLO game so it took them off the list or something." And I'm like, "Okay." And then the player would would want to keep playing PLO hands and not go over to the hold'em table for 30 minutes. Oh, okay. That would really piss me off. Okay. Thank you. I was just making yeah, sure cuz that, that be... I mean, you want to yeah. talk about just annoying. Uh, I mean, Man, that that was tough. Okay, so like speaking of this, I've run into this at one of the rooms in College Station. Maybe both of them. Nobody seems to know. I think it's a very easy concept of how a call-in should work. Okay. So my it's okay, so you called in and somebody is there and wants to play. Before I give you my, because I, I know exactly how I feel about it, what do you think should happen? Okay, so you've called in, but you're not there, and there's an open seat, and someone is there ready to play on the list behind you? Correct. They should sit down. Correct. Yeah. I mean, this is a no-brainer. Yeah. You are not there on there. Now, if you call in, and there's people that come in after you and get on the list, and you get there, and you are not there yet, I mean, they should 
play. You're yeah, right, okay. absolutely. I mean, to me, this is a no-brainer whatsoever. Now, if they get there and get on the list after you, and you get there before the seat is open, you should be first. This is super simple, correct? It is the whole point of the call, or you should just be calling in to talk to whoever's working. If you calling in to get on the list means nothing, what's the point of calling in? Okay, so in College Station, like, and I've seen this happen multiple times, if somebody is there ready to play and somebody else is called in, they will let that person play until the person shows up, and then they have to get up and leave. Absolutely not. I want... <laughs> Okay, and then now they've never done it at the new new management, but the old manager, which it did this, and he's like, well, somebody's already there, and but I'll let you play for like, you know, 45 minutes till they show up. I'm like, no, I am not coming to start your game and get it off the ground and then leaving when someone else, you know, gets... I, mean, I was like, and nobody seems to get this. I... I do not know how in the world, in the poker world, this seems to be very commonplace. Nobody understands it at any of the rooms. Um, okay, so here's the route I thought you were going to go. Okay. I thought you were going to say, you call in, they hold your seat, leave an empty seat while the player is sitting there watching. Like, looking at the empty seat. Uh, I mean, that would be... I mean, it is the case if they don't agree that they're going to get up when you get there. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> did, I mean, did, like... It is so frustrating coming from, like, Houston. And don't get me wrong. I love, like, the places I play at. I mean, but it is very frustrating coming, like, from, like, Houston, where, like, even though it was underground, you had, like, Everybody kind of knew the rules and everything and how everything goes. You have, like, the 52s and everything. And people who don't are not super experienced because... And like I say, it's mostly the one... It's the ownership before this. So it's not anybody... I haven't seen this since then. But it's a super, super frustrating. Here's the other thing. This is shocking. So, okay, there's two tables going on. There's a main game and a must-move game. The main game goes down to eight players, and the must and the uh, the second game is at six players. What happens? So I know what you're gonna say happens because we've talked about this, I believe, or you talked about the players complaining. I say no one moves yet. Is that what you think should happen? If I'm there playing, I'd prefer no one to move to break that second game. Here's the thing: is that's always I've never seen like, like it's one thing I understand you have a main game that they that you're not supposed to allow to break, but eight players is not breaking the game, and they those players at that table will argue to break the second game that is going on with six players and take two players from there and just break that game and leave four players just sitting there with another table. It is the most baffling thing I've ever seen. Okay, I thought you were actually going to go the other way with it. I thought, well, I didn't think you were going to go the other way with it. I thought you were going to say that's the point of the must-move game is that they have to move. 
Oh no, that I can understand. Like the the main game is the game that is is only supposed to be there and not break, and like you keep that going, but you don't just break a the you don't break another table for no reason just because they don't want to play eight handed. I'll do one that I did whenever I was in the must move game. I told them we had a ton of people waiting. I was there first, right? Okay. They said, "Do you want to play five handed until a seat opens up?" You're first on the list. I said, "Sure, that's fine. We can we can we can play with." There's a ton of people here, right? A ton, right. four other people, and then here's the other thing: people started coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And then people kind of started leaving our tables. So we were kind of in that six, five or six people, right? Okay. And we're playing. Everything was going good. They're open. They finally opens up a seat in the main game, which clearly is a deeper stack game and a bigger game, right? Mm-hmm. They ask me, do I want to move yet or not? I asked the people playing. I said, I do want to move. I'll be first to move. But would you guys prefer it if I stayed here so we all can play? And then if our game breaks, I'll go. Or I can leave now and you guys will just sit here. What do you want to do? What would you say as one of those players? Well, I definitely that seems reasonable, the, right? I, yeah, I definitely want the game to go. So I'd say, I mean, I'd rather you sit here, here on at that point until the game breaks. I mean, that seems fair. That's, I think it's, I mean, actually more than fair because really, in all honesty, once they ask you, I mean, you very well could just go to that deeper game if you really want. Well, did they? Did anybody have an issue with this? So the person who was there last, um decided he was going to go to the main game. Just get up and not ask anyone and go. And break our game. Uh, so when you agreed to stay with the players... Wait, so then we kept playing for about 45 minutes. Okay. But how people forget what happens in the last 45 minutes. Then I had a player get up and try to go to the main game because the seat was open. Oh, what a... Now, okay, was it a player who was there when you made the statement, correct? Yes. Okay, because I didn't know... I didn't want it to be... Like, if it's a new player who came after you said it, they just might not know. God, that what a dick move. Oh, no. Don't worry. I told him, I'll be taking my seat now, if that's the route we're going to go, if we're going to break the game. <laughs> so then they kicked him out of the seat, and then he... Oh, <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. That was at Champions... But um, <laughs> oh, was that at Champions? Yeah, that was at Champions. Their their floor ended up, and they explained it to the guy because I guess he somehow literally forgot in the last forty five minutes, and they explained to him, "You are gonna be last. We're all gonna sit here, and you're gonna be last on the list to play. Do you want to stay here and play, or do you want him to go to the main game?" Yeah, he wanted to stay and play. God Almighty, man! It's, it's like. Ugh. Oh God, that's a I miss champions. That, that's that's a that's a great move. I like when you did this. Like all a lot of rooms, I was like, I'm just shocked. I mean, that's it's clearly the right move to make. But I thought uh, champions did not get enough run for being as good as they were. Hopefully they'll be back, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully. But what do you think of that move, though? That seemed very reasonable, right? Oh, I thought that was very very classy on your part. I mean, you. Easily could have gone to the deeper stack game where you could have made more money. I mean, you, I mean, that's a. I thought that was a really good. Uh, I thought you did. 
I think that's what you should do, and I think that's what you know you did do. But I mean, a lot of other pe- people wouldn't have and just gone to the main game, just thinking about themselves. Man, I sure do hate that your room does that. So they force nine-handed. Well, they, and this was before, but. The owner, like, didn't, like, okay, I guess it's it's tough because College Station is such a small place. But they didn't enforce a lot of, like, really normal rules because they didn't want to piss off the, the, the small player base. But by not doing that, they just kind of throw everybody else off. So it's a... I, I don't think they ended up doing that, but it's a couple times where they they did force it, like, once or twice. And I was like, that's... One, it's a horrible business move. I mean, if you have two... I mean, forget what they want at the main game. If you are the owner of a business and you can have two tables running with 17 people playing, uh, paying for time, I mean, why in God... Or, I guess, you know, 15 playing for time, why would you in that and have five people uh, ten people playing for time what I've seen um, who probably does it the the best that I've seen um, is Paramount because um, I'll go there and play at the late games and oftentimes the main game is two hands of PLO or one hand of PLO or whatever right on the reverse button right. and they'll have a only hold them table as well and normally what happens is they wait for either everyone to have a seat to move it to the main game and then you have to play the, the two. Actually, oftentimes they'll compromise and just do one hand of PLO. Okay. But they wait for either everyone to have a seat, or well, actually every time they've had they waited for everyone to have a seat. I feel like well, that. Yeah. How do you mean everyone to have a seat? Like, there's three. So there'd be like three seats open. I guess oh, there's always one person sitting out, right? I guess we would draw for who sits out. Okay. But they wait for multiple seats to then refill the game. So they don't break the game by taking one or two people. They break the game by taking three or four. Or the oh, I can kind of see that. Yeah, if it gets if it gets to a certain point. But, like, on these couple games, like, they were both very live. I mean, so, I just... So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tough being, like, in, like, newish rooms where it's just... Everything is completely kind of not set in stone i would have a huge problem though with if i am there someone calls in and they either don't let me go take the seat while it's open when there's no one there because there's no guarantee that player doesn't show up oh yeah absolutely or having me sit there for 45 minutes then have to get up well and not to mention like i don't know that is a gigantic middle finger to you as a player that's what I was... I mean, that is... I mean, can you even go back there? Uh, I mean, when... When they asked me to do that, because I had... And what they did was I had called in and been like, well, I can be... It starts at 7.30. I'll, I, I'll take a seat for 7.30. And they're like, we're filled up, but someone won't be here till 8.30, but you can come play until they do. I was like, 100% I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna come and get your game off the ground, pay your time, buy in, possibly get stuck. I mean, and and then leave when somebody can't even be there. Right. And the other thing is too is like, you do that, 
oh man, I just, I would just have such a huge problem with that. I would, I hate to cut your, uh, I guess we'll just get into your session, but I would just, you floor me with that story that that actually happens at places. Cause if I was that player and I had never been there and that happened to me, man, I, I'm not even sure how I would react or even what to think. Yeah, and it's a huge it was a huge debate that nobody nobody else seemed to see have an issue. I guess we'll end with kind of, I mean we're not we'll end this conversation of this because I feel like we're just you blow me away. I want to keep talking about it, but yeah, because we're supposed to be talking about how you ran that last session. Yeah, which is actually a pretty interesting uh, story as well. Right. So the uh, so I go, I oh, wait wait but before what was the general consensus on that on that big discussion on if the player should get to sit what was what did most people think uh i argued it nobody argued me but they kept doing it the way they were doing it so all the players were fine with it basically except for you i don't think anybody really knows that much better out out there so it's a yeah i guess i mean Okay, I mean that's good enough for me. I guess how'd the session go? It's a, so I buy in and get there, and the first like three hands, I get Ace King off. So someone bet so it's one three. Someone raises to thirty, which is I know at like fifty twos a fairly common depending on how deep stacked the game is. Probably just depending on if the straddle is running, but there's no straddle here, right? So no thirty is massive. Yeah. So then there's a call. I three bet Ace King almost all the time. Uh, I hadn't seen this guy do it with that much, and I was just like, if I three bet here and he comes over the top, this is a weird spot. Uh, I probably, I really should be three betting here, but I just choose to call right here. He goes three ways to the flop. It is nine seven five, and I am in late position. And it's a check, check to me. I go ahead and check with my ace king. The turn pairs the five. The preflop raiser now bets 35 into a pot of about 95. All right. The other guy folds. I call. I just don't know why. I'm a little suspicious. I think. I think this board is perfect for over pairs to bet, and it's a uh, it's wet enough that you need to kind of bet for protection, but dry enough you probably om- almost always have a good hand unless someone flopped a set here. Uh, so I call the river's a jack, so I'm hoping he just kind of checks it and checks it down. He bets ninety into the pot. Decent sized bet for this pot goes over to me. I him and haul forever because I just don't understand what this guy's repping. How good is this player? Is this a player capable of bluffing? Is this a player who recognizes bluff spots? Is this a player who knows how you play? I've played with them before, but I have I don't have enough I haven't played with them enough to where I really have a read on him. Okay. And I just started the session. Uh but I him and haul like it's just really weird. Even if he had an under pair under a nine, like sevens or like or like eights or something like that, this was a really good board to see bet. So I go just into the tank to no end. I just don't believe it, and 
he could hit a jack with like ace jack here or king jack suited or something like that or jacks and hit a set but be very random just to hit this jack on the river i end up making the call and i'm ready to muck my cards i'm making him show first because i have ace high and i just called a pretty big bet and he shows ace queen and i show down ace king and the table is like floored about what just happened jeez i bet and that's a man what a call huh that felt good because you know like i always equate us to like different like players like in the nba like you would be vince carter you're splashy with the dunks you're gonna put those river raises and show down seven deuce a lot you're gonna make these hero calls i'm not that guy <laughs> right like I make a profit, but I basically make hands and value bet to no end of the people who can't fold. So I'm Tim Duncan. <laughs> There's no dunks. There's no anything. I'm using backboard like I'm playing in the 80s. And, you know, I'm winning championships. I'm doing good. But I'm not making the ESPN highlight reels ever. So when I, when I got to call this for, like, ace high down, I mean, dude, I mean... I'm, I don't know. I, I swelled up. I mean, my head, my head was probably two times the size that it should have been because I never get to make plays like this. I I don't really do the hero call route. I don't think people bluff enough on the river to really give it any uh substance to really do it that much. But man, when I made this call, I was like, oh god, oh man, I, this feels good. So uh, and the. The uh, session after, when you make a call like that, and that said, that session's going good after that. <laughs> you always know it's a good hero call when you confuse the dealer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dealer's like, what? Huh? I don't, what? <laughs> He's like, I could have sworn everyone has nothing here, right? Is it ace time or is it ace? I've been there a few times, so. That's, yeah, you make these plays. I, I'll tell you what, I understand why you make them now, because that shit felt good. Man, when you told me you made that call, I was, I was blown away, because I think, because like you said, you never make that call. I was like, I make ace high calls occasionally, probably way more than I should. <laughs> Yeah, it was like I was like I was still ready to snap muck when it when uh when he showed his hand and it was like when he showed Ace Queen I was like oh god <laughs> that was funny whenever you're like what do you think what would you call or why would you call with that I was like I don't know sometimes you gotta see what's up <laughs> <laughs> and so uh ended up profiting about a little over seven hundred so that was a good session uh. Let's say never complaining about a win. I'm on a pretty little decent winning streak, so I'm just hoping to keep that running at this point. Always awesome to have such a nice play and then have a profitable session yeah. to go with it. Yeah, you don't want the you don't want the stink of a bad session ruining your <laughs> your highlight moment. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so I, so you told me that you actually posted about this hand too, right? Oh, yeah. So I posted this on Reddit. So I never, like, really go on to the poker forums or whatever, but I do. I'm a, I am on Reddit, and I did the, uh, so I was like, I did an analysis of this hand because I thought it was a real interesting spot. I was probably partly bragging, probably being an asshole, <laughs> yeah. but I was like, well, I'm going to go this because I thought it, uh, I did think it was real interesting how, like, 
you could make this read here. It was a... And I post this expecting... Okay, there's 150,000 poker players on Reddit. Right, so it's basically the bank, the brain trust, right? I mean, you would you would think. The... <laughs> So I I'm like expecting like you know like either criticisms or you know good or or good job or all this, but I mean really detailed analysis. I mean these people not only play poker, but they're on a poker uh, forum where they're also discussing poker when they're not playing poker. I'm expecting some really high level shit. Guess what is not on Reddit. A lot of high-level shit. (laughs) Okay, like, I got probably 14 answers. Two answers probably are probably decently high-level enough that you're like, okay, I'm really getting something out of this. This is a thoughtful discussion. 12 of the 14 answers were like, it's a fold. You don't have anything. It's a fold, like, it's a fold and all that. But here's the thing. I'm okay if it's a fold. Maybe it should have been a fold. You're going to have to say a little bit more of a detailed hand analysis of why it's a fold rather than you didn't hit the board <laughs> and he has to have better than you because he bet and you didn't hit the board. <laughs> right. I mean, what, what are these people looking at as far as like poker stuff? I mean, there's nobody. Training sites, books. I don't think anybody... At that point, on Reddit, like, at least 90% have done any study as far as poker goes. And those are the people I bluff out of their shoes. (laughs) God, if you could get a game with that, that would be amazing right there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I remember you telling me you posted, and I, too, was waiting for the high-level analysis. I was thinking, oh, someone probably pretty good is going to say something. And I remember you just being like, (sighs) just so painful. I like Two, I was like, I, there were two or three where I was like, okay, I really like these responses. Uh, there was one guy who's like, you should three bet, you should three bet pre flop. I did agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think I misplayed that part of the hand. So there were a couple that were really that were good, but I, I just don't, I don't know how you could ever be on a poker forum, be looking at poker in a time where you're not playing poker, and then take the time to actually respond to a post. And then give absolutely no substantial analysis for the post. It is mind-blowing, right? But I guess that's... Poker that, is not dead. Right? I mean, I guess you have to do something during the lunch break, right? I mean, <laughs> talking trash to you seems like a great way to spread my lunch break. So, I mean, they do it on Reddit, so... That that was, yeah, I was, was sorely disappointed. Do not, like, you know... Uh, I'll probably post another one. I want to see what people say. I want to see if there's any decent hand analysis on there. But, uh, yeah, I would. Uh, it's not exactly 2 plus 2 up in there. I believe you actually can post hands to um, – I just saw it actually a few weeks ago on Johnny Vibes has a Facebook page where people post different hands and they actually do hand analysis on that. You can – you have to uh, – I think it's like apply to get on it or whatever. But Oh, that would be kind of cool. Like you can't post any um, – like advertisements to tournaments or cash. It has to be all, you know, like hand analysis and more serious things. I feel like you'll probably get a better response from a group like that than you would to people who steal my memes off Reddit, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, 
<laughs> I will post. say they're genius meme stealers, so I will say that. <laughs> but yeah, so that maybe I would start with something like that. I mean, you might as well just retap Reddit just to see what happens. But yeah, it, well, you know, I'm a member of like Crush Live Poker, and they have their Discord and all mm. that. But Reddit has such a huge user base, and it's real quick and easy to go on your phone. So it's really, I was like, well, let's do this, and because I want to see what other people think here. I and like I say, I guess you get on the internet, you just I don't I don't know what I was expecting. I was just <laughs> I was expecting a lot more than what I got. I will say that. <laughs> so, but this kind of raises an interesting question. So, if you had no training sites or anything like that, you're new to poker, and you went on Reddit trying to learn, how rough would that be? Oh yeah, that's a that would be rough. Well, okay, and this is it's not because it's a forum because like a lot of people back in the day, let said like two plus two was how they really got good at poker. I mean, they would get real decent hand analysis. Now I heard there were a lot of assholes on there, but they actually didn't know their shit. So, but yeah, if you're trying to get po- good at poker through that way, that's man, this could be a tough route for you. <laughs> So we have a few friends that the reason why I was thinking that is like we have a few friends who are trying to get into poker and I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't have many friends in poker. No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you have friends who aren't into you have friends who aren't into poker as much as you are. And sometimes it can be tough trying to explain to them different concepts. But how would you go about a player who's not going to really spend any money on training material or any substantial money on training material wants to take it as a hobby, but get better. What would your advice be to them here? Like, and I did respond to someone on Reddit uh, post on this, uh, which I thought was a really good post. Uh, He was asking about these, the, he did the world tavern poker bar game. Okay. And, when I first got into poker, it was just those free poker, bar, those free bar poker games, and you got a lot of people being like, "That's not real poker." I mean, you know, people aren't gonna, you can't bluff. They're gonna call with everything because it's free. Well, yeah, but the odds of hitting hands and the odds of pot odds and implied odds and playing the correct pre-flop hands. I mean, if you're doing that, you're beating these players if they're playing incorrectly. Uh, I thought that was a really great way to kind of learn the game now you can't just play those and that's where it ends you have to either like read or training sites or something like that but i thought that was a that's a very underlooked way of how to really get better at the game because here's something i thought was pretty interesting that you always you always preach so so heavily for new players that they should do tournaments because man looking back on it i feel like i made not mistakes, but I just I could have learned so much more and could have really kind of fast tracked it. Cause my whole thing was I didn't have any money to play, really, and I'd play one three at the casinos, but I only had a hundred dollars to buy in, and oh, yeah. I also didn't want to lose all my money because then I couldn't play anymore, so I couldn't really play correctly. I was more just at the table, and that's super tough. So I, you always talk about how you get way more play and it's a lot more fun because you're even chip stack oftentimes in these tournaments, right? Yeah. Well, 
Okay, let's say you're going to Vegas and you are brand new to poker, but you want to learn. They have tournaments for like $80 that you could probably play like two hours or so on there. And it's kind of hard to do that in a cash game. And you have these like free bar poker. I mean, you have a lot of ways tournaments can be fun for very cheap. Uh, I think everybody should kind of start out there. And it's a great way to start. And I think eventually you need to go into the cash game. Because the you're not going to be positive EV at the beginning regardless. Yep. And those low-level tournaments are almost impossible to beat because they are so highly ranked. But you get a lot of play for your money. And you can really, you know, just use that money. Just burn that money and say, you know, it's to learn the game, have a good time, and all that. And then once you kind of have a gra- grasp of it, I think then you should move to one two, where you can where one two is actually a beatable game. One thing I also I've never actually played at one bar game ever, so I've only played at the casinos and, and the poker rooms. But one thing that I uh, thought was interesting that an advantage to these bar games is table etiquette, playing live poker. Oh, yeah, I think it was huge. Because, okay, I started out playing poker, like, at a friend's house in college. Had no idea how to play at all. And then I got into it playing on full tilt. Well, you got decently, like, I wasn't good at online yet. But, I mean, I was halfway decent and all that. But when I went to the first time and played at a casino, at this point it was a la Capri. There was no golden nugget. And that Al Capri just had the most tables and was the most going on. And I tell you what, I felt so out of my element. I was, you know, I was like, how much is in the pot? Usually I'm just using, <laughs> I, right? usually I just see the number, like what's, what's going on. And then I was like, you know, oh, it was so tough. So just like you said, table etiquette, all the little different rules and, you know, from, you just, it's just a huge help. Right, and also how to stack your chips, how to get the amount of chips you want out, counting your chips, all that is you don't even think about it when you've played live poker for so long, but whenever you're just starting out, you don't know how how big you should stack your stacks. Just have all sorts of random stacks or a whole bunch of small stacks. Oh, yeah, and you just kind of get normal like on that. Well, I remember like when you told me that you would play at the casino, and you tell me you'd bet like something like twenty five or whatever, and I'm like, was that like half pot pot? And you're like, what do you mean, twenty five? I bet him until he would fold. I was like, well, what was that in the pot? And you're like, twenty five dollars a lot of money, <laughs> right? Oh, well, they're gonna fall. I was like, so I mean, yeah, you kind of get just used to the, uh, you know, getting the half pot, the two thirds pot, you know, like the uh, what sizes to bet, and like you say, just the getting the chips right and everything. So it's yeah, it's. I don't know. I find those way underutilized. And I, I tell you what, even now, like, I don't really play at them anymore because, you know, now that we're both profitable players, if we're going to play poker, it seems like we should be doing it where we can earn money. Right. But I, mi- I, I still miss those. I mean, where you just didn't give a shit and just go out there and have a good, have some drinks and have a good time. I remember <laughs> before when you would ask me, how much, or how much did you better? Or, you would either ask me afterward or the dealer would ask me, you know, how much. Because one of the things I used to do is I'd just grab a handful of chips and just kind of feel how much it weighed in my hand. 
I was like, this feels about right. And just toss it out there. Yeah. And they're like, how much is the bet? And I just four four ounces. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I bet I would bet an ounce dollars. I remember that I was gonna be like, this feels substantial. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, that's a big one, you know, calling with one oversized chip. I mean, all of that is so big. There's so many, like, little rules. And I tell you what, like, both me and you try to get people at work to play and be like, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. And everybody's very intimidated by, like, all the kind of unwritten rules, like, the rules of the game. Like, that's a great way to, and I tell you what, there are a lot of people at those bar leagues who are competitive. And they are trying to win. It's not like just everybody's a complete nutter donkey. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's you're not getting a you're not going to see Matt Berkey out there. But uh, but I mean, it's a good way to learn. It seems like everyone always says they're too scared. They're gonna get, they're they're either going to mess the game up or don't know what to do or they're going to get laughed out of the room. I'm like, dude, people like to see someone there who doesn't know how to play. They're going to take your money if you're at the casino. They're not going to get mad at you. Oh yeah, no shit. If anything, yeah, they're gonna be super friendly to someone who doesn't know how to do shuffle the chips around. <laughs> right. I mean, I had one friend who's actually he knows how to play poker, is good at poker, or was good. He hadn't played in forever now, mm-hmm. but was just too intimidated to go play. Because like when we would play, we would both play those poker stars tournaments, the free chip ones where you just get whatever free chips and you would play with like three, four hundred people. Mm-hmm. And I actually took a few of those down, but, I mean, they're free tournaments. and You know, so did he, though. Right. You know, and you'd make those a few hour-long runs, but then he just would never go to the casino to play or to a poker room because he's just too intimidated. Yeah, I guess some people are just born to, like, more online. I don't know. I find online poker extremely boring, really. I mean, I'll, I'll play it every now and then. I'll get the itch to play here and there and play some. But, man, I just... I like the interactions with the people. I just, you know, I like being somewhere new, being some, you know, something different. I like, even though, don't get me wrong, there's times I'm bored shitless at a poker table. But I do like, overall, I like the atmosphere, the camaraderie. And everybody, a lot of people are like, well, there's just, you know, there's a lot of bad, you know, asshole. It was, I don't know. There are some. There's, there's sure. like bad people in all aspects of life. But I tell you what, the vast majority of people I've met at a poker table, they're usually pretty good dudes. Oh, yeah. Normally, I mean, everyone can relate to when they didn't know how to play. And, I mean, someone had to teach you. Yeah. You had to learn sometime. But here's my question for you for, I guess we'll kind of close on something kind of like this. So if you had to suggest to someone who's brand new at poker, what should they to, to study? Because then I'll tell you. You can tell me what you did to study and what I'll tell you what I did to study. What would you recommend someone new to poker do? What advice would you give them? And what should they, I guess we already said the bar games would be a good one. But I guess what advice would you give them getting in, never playing poker, or still very brand new to poker? Okay, the training sites are known to have the best material. But they're obviously not going to pay because they're brand new and they don't understand that. Uh, I... I mean, ideally, like, it's hard because not a lot of people uh, are into books and reading at this uh, this point, it seems like. But, you know, instead of going to one of these sites that's, like, maybe like 400 a year or $40 a month, 
I would definitely start with like some of the better books. Like if you're into tournaments, Dan Harrington's books on tournaments or cash games. And granted, there, a lot of people are gonna be saying oh, outdated. If you're going from the basic basics, that is where you that is still where you start, and then you work your kind of way up from there. But for twenty bucks, I think you could do that and be instantly pretty decent at it. That and I think the vlogs are free on YouTube. Uh, those would be the two ways I would do without investing a lot of money in it. My suggestion would be, I mean, the books were great, but for someone like me, my suggestion would be going to one of the YouTube channels on one of the training sites who are, you know, they have a pay subscription, but you don't do that. You go back and look at what they've released for free two years ago because the game hasn't changed that oh, much. Yeah. And if they're giving it away for free, you know, they've obviously they've updated it or they've, you know, kind of, but they're giving away so much material for free. Cross Live Poker, they go over hand, hand reviews. Uh, Jonathan Little just gives away hand reviews that you can watch and just all sorts of training stuff. Yeah, Crush Live Poker does, like, I think their best hand review every week on YouTube. And that's super. Uh, actually, they do the entire call in show, I think, on YouTube. I know I watch um, specific hands from the Collins show that they clip. That's what I normally will watch from yeah. Crush Life Pokers because I find them, what Bart does super interesting. But as a new player, I would tell them just go back to stuff three, two years ago. It's all new to you. You might as well watch that. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you study? How did you first start studying? Did you do it wrong? Because I know when I started, I, I guess I'll tell you what I did. Okay. <laughs> I had... I had nowhere – I knew that there was skill to it. I knew I needed to get better because when I go to the casino, there are certain people there who are always winning, right, constantly beating other people. So clearly there's some skill that I'm just not seeing or understanding. So what I did was I would go and watch the old, old-school high-stakes poker where they're playing like King 2 offsuit and stuff, and I would try to use that as study material. So I watch every episode, study all the hands. You know, they're betting and people are folding because, you know, they don't have a pair here. And I would try that. And, man, if I would have just – and then I happen to stumble upon videos on YouTube. But I spent hours watching high-stakes poker thinking that was training material. And then I'd try to take it to the casino and just get smoked. Yeah, I can see that. That's a – but, I mean, I think you're in a huge majority of people. Well, that's what I figured. That's why I was asking you, because if you have, don't know where to go or what to even look up, you don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, I've always been a big reader, so I read a lot of books. Uh, and that I think that kind of made my baseline a little bit higher than, a lot of, than some of the other people who didn't. But it there was a lot that I didn't – I wasn't – I wasn't uh, doing it very applicable. I mean, it would uh, the books really helped, but one most of the books were written on tournament play. There were all, like all the cash game books were like very theory based. It wasn't like it wasn't a you know you bet here on all this. It wasn't like the course, which I highly recommend. Like this is the edge. This is the play. This is why you do this. Now this is another edge. This is why you play this, and this is how you beat this. It was just more on general thoughts on the game. The course, that was my dad's Father's Day's gift. So, 
Let's see what he thinks of it. Oh God, I hope he likes it because I tell you what, I love I love that book. I if someone were to tell me like they just were into cash games, and they weren't gonna do a training site, that is. Did your dad have a pretty you? But your dad actually dealt for like one of those casino games, so he understands poker a little bit. Oh no, he deals poker for like the charities and stuff like that. Yeah, it now that's the caveat I would give is somebody kind of needs to know poker before they do the course. Uh, read that book. I wouldn't if they had no idea. I wouldn't start with that book. But for your dad, I think that's going to be perfect. Right, I guess. Um, I would just recommend, you know, YouTubing anything Jonathan Little whenever you're starting off. I mean, he literally will give you the inter- or was it introduction course for free or whatever, or try the site, or just do what I did, start with the YouTube, and then see what, you know, comes of it. Yeah, that's a, I think, I know you're uh, big on uh, poker coaching with Jonathan Little. I'm big on the Crush Live. Uh, I would say this. There's, if you are going to pay for a tra- paid training site, those two, I think, have the best value that I've come across. I can agree with that for sure. It's a, I, won't say they're, I won't say they're the 100% best because I don't think you can really know. But some of the training sites, a lot of them have the same information. And I've seen them for like three and four grand. Well, some of them have the same information, but some of them also aren't meant for people playing one, two. Yeah. So... I would definitely, like, if you want a lot of tournament stuff, you need to do jaunt poker coaching because there is tournament stuff on Crush Live, but it is definitely not a tournament. Uh, Crush Live is more cash game based, uh, but poker coaching does have their master cash game class, so I think you could go either or, but both of those sites, I think you get incredible value. Right, Absolutely. I guess we kind of ran long on this one, so I guess we'll probably pick up that conversation about new players or what you did whenever you were starting maybe next week, if we remember. <laughs> because I'll tell you what, this is our new longest episode. So this concludes episode 11. This with the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead, throw a like, throw a subscribe. We even are streaming on Twitch every once in a while. So we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time and we'll see you next week.